Welcome to Insight, the insurance news podcast hosted by me, Andrew Silcox. In this week's edition of Insight, we've got a whole set of steak knives with your names on them. As listeners would know, this podcast is our side hustle. But as our studio is orbiting the earth somewhere in the metasphere, it won't affect our home and contents insurance. As they say in Glengarry Glen Ross, life is simple as ABC, always be claiming, unless that A actually stands for AFCA. And while we're wheeling and dealing and ducking and diving, the COVID pandemic is throwing up some positives for the industry. Hello, everyone. This week, I'm joined by my partners in crime, Chairman Terry McMullen, Editor John Deeks, and Deputy Editor Wendy Pugh. Hello, John. Hello. Another busy week of news and announcements, or am I just taking more notice? Yeah, it's busy. It's always busy. Good morning, Terry. Good morning. How's the side hustle for you? The side hustle for me is fine. I noticed how John wasn't going to bite on, on your comment. That's worth a, <laughs> worth a try. Good morning, Wendy. Good morning, Andrew. Hey, Wendy, we're back talking about the weather, if a little prematurely. I guess we are, yes, and a lot of other things as well. <laughs> well, John, why is everyone so upset about these side hustles and the home insurance? Yes, well, this, this issue has sort of taken off after after it was raised in an ABC news article. So basically, when you take out home and contents cover, you'll invariably be asked by your insurer whether there's any business activity taking place at the home. Now, if you answer no, uh, and that later turns out to be incorrect, or you'd later set up a business working from home, then you risk a later claim being denied. This is one of those issues where you have to disclose to your insurer what's going on. And if you don't, you could be in trouble. So far, so obvious. But the problem is when it comes to defining what a business activity actually is. The original example used by the ABC was a couple who'd had an honesty box at the end of their drive where they were selling a few eggs, as it was put. And um, because they hadn't told their insurer about this when the when the home burnt down, the claim was denied. Now that one's going to court. But since the ABC reported that story, a whole load of other people have come forward saying, I rang my insurer to let them know about my side hustle. And they told me that I couldn't be covered for home and contents anymore. Yeah, what's happening now is we've got this sort of panic on our hands where people are realizing that these little things they were doing on the side means that their home and contents insurance is essentially invalid. Now, I think this problem comes up at renewal as well, because you may answer the question accurately at the time you take out the insurance. But then if you renew and renew and renew a few years down the line, you might start some little business activity and, and you might think it's so insignificant and, and so low risk that you, you, don't, you don't need to tell your insurer about it. But of course you do. Now, we've spoken to AFCA and there haven't been many disputes about this issue. So that suggests that perhaps insurers aren't trying to decline claims on this basis, not regularly anyway. But there's certainly an issue here that needs some clarity, I think. So the industry is going to have to have a think about this one. Well, we shouldn't put all our eggs in one basket, but Terry, we just need a bit of common sense here, don't we? Yeah, you know, look, I, I'm all for full disclosure, but the world's changed so much in the past 20 years, but even in, in the last year. And here we are discussing a claim that's been declined because someone in the insurer's office identified an anomaly that's really irrelevant to the claim. You know, the, the egg honesty box didn't 
caused the fire. Anyway, the, the, that egg honesty box really issue is is, is really one that, that sort of gets me, I guess, because, oh, I don't know, the, it, it's legally correct, but nevertheless it comes across as the way we did things back in the last century, right back in the early 90s when we were trying to show the insurance industry how so-called consumerism would challenge the, the totally legalistic line taken in those days over claims. The phrase fair and reasonable in the circumstances became part of the industry's vocabulary. I just don't see it here, though. I guess there are always going to be the odd claim decisions that surprise or disappoint you. But this one had gone all the way through management before it, it eventually has ended up in court, I gather. So, you know, they supported the decision. You just have to hope that this is, is an anomaly and not a trend. Well, speaking of trends, Wendy, IAG have given us a flavour of what to expect from its results next month. How are they tracking? Well, I mean, the, these are figures they released, they're probably not going to change much between now and when they report their full and detailed results. So what they've said is that at the bottom line, they had a profit last financial year of $347 million, which compared to a loss of $427 million a year earlier. And that loss was affected by big provisions for business interruption claims and some one other one-offs and customer refunds and that, those sort of things. But if you take away those things, um, this result in the past year has been affected by the high level of natural catastrophes uh, and increasing claims costs in the commercial liability portfolio. So the insurance profit, you know, which is the underwriting result plus investment income, was $586 million, which um, represented a margin of 7.4%, which fell below the guidance range of 10 to 12%. But, but they are forecasting the reported insurance margin will improve this year to 14 to 16%. They've also uh, increased the natural catastrophe allowance, and they're also seeing um, further increases in GWP growth, uh, given the increased rates and in inflation. Wow, that's a lot of numbers. I mean, it must be hard to hit targets. Terry, with increasing natural catastrophes and claims inflation to deal with, how do insurers manage? Oh, look, it's insurance, Andrew, but maybe not as we know it. Uh, right now, it's a pretty difficult industry to be doing business in, not, not just here, but globally. I mean, inflation's pushing up the cost of claims, the rising number of catastrophes come at a time when investment returns, which underpin insurers' earnings, are still depressingly low. So... More NAT cats means higher reinsurance rates and the reinsurers themselves are facing the same problems as their insurance customers. High cat claims, which make reinsurance a less attractive place for investors to shove their billions. When the conditions are right, insurance shines as an investment, but climate change and natural catastrophes have altered the mix to, to cause unprecedented levels of damage and loss. We know that. The industry will come back uh, to profitability and stability, but insurance right now isn't all that attractive to anyone who doesn't have a very long-term perspective. Well, AFCA's latest complaint statistics are out, Wendy. What are the trends? Well, actually, the, the natural catastrophes have had an impact there too. So AFCA says the top four um, insurers accounted for about 9,400 complaints last financial year, which was up about 19%, which was well above the increase 
uh, percentage increase for like all types of financial complaints that they receive. And the, the top general insurance issue was uh, claim handling delays. Number of complaints, they increased more than 50%. And that was particularly an issue on home and contents and motor. Other top issues centred on the claim amount, uh, claim denials, including around exclusions or conditions and service quality. Africa says it understands the issues with the catastrophes and the recent shortages in building materials and labour, but it's still concerned about the rise in, in the number of the complaints that are being escalated to to the ombudsman service what are we going to do about claims john just a little question for you yes i don't know it wasn't too long ago we it seemed like every broker we spoke to was telling us that insurers claims handling was was hitting hitting new lows and these africa stats give some credence to that view i guess with complaints about claim handling delays as wendy says up 50% or so. Of course, we know insurers are under the pump. They're going to be with so many catastrophe claims to work through. But that that's little consolation to those uh, catastrophe victims, I guess. And yes, insurers have tried to add staff where they can, but are they doing everything they can? I mean, you have to wonder if this is the, the situation at the moment, whether we need to make some changes to policy wordings and so on. I mean, I'm thinking about most policies include uh, 12 months alternative accommodation, but homes aren't getting be- rebuilt in 12 months at the moment, not even close, I don't think. So does that need looking at? These sorts of changes would obviously add to the cost of insurance, which is already rising. But taking out insurance is supposed to bring peace of mind, isn't it? And uh, where's the peace of mind if you have no faith that you're going to be properly looked after come claims time? I think we live in very difficult times for the insurance industry, and I, and I think they're, they're doing their best. But, I mean, if you're looking at the world recovering right now, I mean, industries everywhere, service industries, are all having real problems. Everybody from airlines to to insurance. I don't disagree with anything you've said, but I, I do believe there are mitigating circumstances in the face of such massive claims loads that, that the industry is dealing with now. We live in exceptional times. Well, speaking of exceptional, there's been a key retirement announced in the world of underwriting agencies, John. Yes, there has. So William Legg, who is the general manager of the Underwriting Agencies Council, has announced that he's going to retire in December. And that sparked a search for the next leader for that, the crucial peak body. Mr. Legg, had, he has a huge amount of experience, uh, having worked in the industry for many years with insurers and underwriting agencies across Australia and in Asia as well. He was appointed to the GM position in 2011, and he's overseen a period of serious growth. Back when he joined UAC, I think had around 65 voting members, and today that's up to about 130. And the gross written premium has also risen from about $2 billion to more than $12 billion. So he's coming to the end of a, a long and fascinating Korea and UX now on the lookout for for its next leader. Well, how would you sum up William's contribution, Terry? Well, obviously, UX not going to have a leg to stand on. Sorry, I just thought of that. William's been at the centre of things ever since the creation of UAC way back in the 90s. So you don't replace that sort of knowledge easily if 
in fact, you can at all. UAC's grown and its influence has gradually grown as well, but they've always kept the, the UAC secretariat relatively small and left William to do the relations stuff inside the industry, and that's been very successful for, for uh, UAC. The agencies, as they've grown in number and stature within the market, they've also built some very strong links with groups like oh, ICA, NEBA, the major brokers, etc. Uh, the expos they hold in major centres and even in New Zealand have been very successful under William's watch as well. So his replacement's going to have to follow very much the same course, and I guess UAC and the underwriting agency sector have their challenges, but they're agile and responsive and increasingly significant to brokers in a difficult market. So it'll be interesting to, to see how somebody new coming in will, will handle the sort of changes that the, the market's going through. But certainly they've got a you know, pretty good start thanks to the work that William's done over the years. Well, finally, Wendy, what's this about the COVID pandemic yielding positives for the insurance industry? Clyde and co-partner Gareth Horn has pointed out that the positives include the collaborative approach that has enabled the test cases to be um, put together and to go ahead and the, the useful guidance that will flow from that that process. But as well, a, a tool was put together to aggregate information about COVID exposure sites and, and public health orders that all the insurers could use to speed up the assessment of BI claims. And it, they had to get clearance from the ACCC to be able to do that. Um, and as he points out, this could be a tool that could be used in other scenarios going forward, such as after bushfires or, or floods. Yeah, he's saying there's a just on that collaboration and, you know, um, getting together on a few issues, there's been a few positives. BI test cases, thats uh, that rings a bell. That wouldn't be the, the business interruption test cases that we spoke about ad nauseum for uh, week in and week out earlier this year. Can you remind me where we're up to? Uh, well, we're, we're not finished yet. Um, we're still waiting for the uh, second test case to be completely concluded. So the federal full court handed down its decision in February, but some of the parties have sought leave to appeal to the high court. The High Court has been in a mid-year winter recess, so we're waiting for the court now to either say, yes, we will uh, listen to your appeal, or uh, no, no, we won't. So it could all come either to a very sudden conclusion, um, or if they do hear the appeal, it could go on for a few more months. Mm, a sequel that uh, could end in a cliffhanger, hey? Well, that brings us to the end of this week's Insight Podcast by Insurance News. Thank you once again uh, to our panel, John Deeks, Wendy Pugh, and Terry McMullen. Enjoy your week and thank you all for listening. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at editor at insurancenews.com.au. We value your input. You can read all of these stories and many others at your leisure at insurancenews.com.au. You can subscribe to the Insight Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Acast, on all your favorite podcast platforms now. We look forward to catching up again next week. 